This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Comic books, comic time, writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning a winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi, and thanks for joining me as I talk about Hawking the new graphic novel biography of Stephen Hawking, out right about now. I'm Jim Ottaviani, and I wrote it. Leland Myrick drew it. Aaron Polk colored it, and First Second published it. It's a graphic novel, uh, but the book is not like most of the comics you've been guided through on Ben's podcast, in that it's A, narrative nonfiction, B, about a scientist, and C, It clocks in at almost 300 story pages. You already know how long this podcast lasts, so yeah, it's obvious I'm not going to try and take you through the whole thing. So we'll focus on the first 30 pages or so, which I hope will give you a feel for the what, the why, and the how of the book. So let's start with the jacket. It's a great cover. Uh, with Andrew Arnold and Molly Johansson of First Second riffing on Colleen Venables' Feynman design from a few years back. It mentions that book, too, right up, right up on the top, uh, and it's a book that Leland and I also did together. That was a successful team-up, and even though you'll learn in a few minutes why nonfiction comics scripts can present artists with some unique challenges, he wasn't so sick of me that he didn't want to do it again. And it's probably not all about me. Uh, This book gave us both the opportunity to go to Cambridge, uh, drink cider and scotch, and hang out at Stephen Hawking's house, which may have been a factor for him. Anyway, back to the cover. There's more writing on this thing, too. And the flap copy was drafted by me, then made market, or maybe better to say marketing ready, by professionals, which is good, because I dislike doing marketing and publicity. I'm not good at that stuff. Uh, Exhibit A, it took me about a week of agonizing and not hitting send and rewriting to get even a really short query together to Ben about doing this commentary. So after self-publishing for many years, It's great to work with people from a big New York publishing house because one of the things I appreciate most about not doing everything myself 
is being able to count on people like Katie and Morgan at Macmillan who know what they're doing. So the case just under the slip, uh, just under the jacket is the case. And there are no words except on the spine. So not a lot to say here other than to remind you to always peek under the dust jacket when you get a book by first second. There's bonus art every time. Opening the book up, uh, we get the title and credit pages. So you see my name, Leland's name, and Aaron Polk's name. This is probably a good time to say something about both of them. Uh, as I mentioned, Leland and I worked together on Feynman, which was a treat for me because I was already a fan of his work. As I recall, I wrote a review of one of his early books for the Comics Journal uh, many years back, and yeah, it was positive. So working with him has made me appreciate his skills even more. Aaron was introduced to us by my friends Jersey and Andros. I had started to flat the book to help Leland keep up with our deadlines. It's not something that requires a huge amount of expertise with color. Flatting is more about prepping pages for the color artist to do their thing. And anybody who's seen me dress will know that flatting is about as far as you'd want me to go when it comes to color. But as it turns out, I'm both slow at this and I didn't like it very much. Aaron's neither of those things, so I hired him to pick up the slack that I couldn't. And when it started to become clear that Leland wouldn't have time to do the full color for the book himself, Aaron already deep into the thing, showed us some samples, and we and our editors said, yeah, that looks great. And the book does look great. Okay. Uh, sometimes for a second puts the copyright page and, indis and indicia and stuff like that at the back of the book, and my original script assumed this and got going right away. In it, I said, no warm-up, no settling in. It's Hawking's world from now on. That's not how we ended up doing the design, but even so, there's a little bit of sequential art happening on those title and credit pages, and it and that art echoes the themes of falling or flying, it's an open question, uh, that recur throughout the book. On to that Indicia page, which has all the dates and control numbers and the ISBN and stuff you usually skip. But here's where First Second again comes through and gives you a little bit more bang for your buck. They almost always include information on what tools the artists used to create the images. And here we find that Leland used Sakura Pigma Micron pens on Canson Pro layout marker paper, and that Aaron used Photoshop to color it. They don't say what the writer used. So bonus for this podcast. I wrote most of it in Word. Some of it in BB Edit, which is a bare-bones text editor that's really designed for programmers. Some of it on scraps of paper and the backs of old card catalog cards from the University of Michigan Library. And the first draft of the closing scene I wrote in a Moleskine notebook while standing in the rain on the path behind Charles Darwin's house. The path where he worked out parts of the theory of evolution. That really is how this, that happened. It was a good trip to England. Anyway, some dedications follow. And finally, we get to the story. We open with a wager, which, along with the falling and flying thing, is another recurring theme in the book. 
it turns out that physicists like to gamble. Though not on things like lotteries, but instead on whether their theories are true, or experiments will work. In fact, a wager figures into the origin of this book, since on July 2nd, 2012, I think it was, I got a message from a friend with the simple subject line, Big Day. No capitalization, no punctuation, no elaboration. The, the message came from Lois, a mutual friend of Stephen Hawking's, and she sent it to let me know that her husband Gordy had won his bet with Hawking on the existence of the Higgs boson. He'd lost a previous bet on this and was down 100 bucks, so now he was back to even. Cool. Uh, and oh, by the way, she said, in addition to conceding that wager, Hawking had also let them know that he enjoyed the Feynman graphic novel, Leland and I did, which Lois had sent him. And he invited us to come and visit to talk about doing a book about him. So yeah, I would have at least capitalized Big Day. But but anyway, uh, the wager on these opening pages is for smaller stakes. And Hawking is the subject of the bet, not one of the betters himself. We open the scene with an establishing shot showing... Well, hang on. Here, I've got the script in front of me, so let's let's see what I said. Uh, page one, panel one. Two schoolboys sitting on a low stone wall. Their legs dangle and swing. In fact, that's all we can see of them. So the word balloon tails on the page will all point to the tops of the panels, since we can't see their faces. The boys are Basil King and John McClenahan, friends of Hawking's, and they're sharing a small sack of candy, which sits between them. So let me stop there for a second and say, this particular panel had no dialogue, so that bit about the balloons was there to signal what I was going for in the rest of the scene. And Leland chose to pull way back here, uh, give some context, provide some setting, which was a good choice. Uh, so the sack of candy doesn't appear until the next panel, and the faces are obscured by the distance that Leland put between you and the characters. Anyway, my panel description here concludes with RCSH524, BHABU9 for the scene in general, BHABU170 for a science fiction reference, SHKF240 to 241 for intelligent life, and MBH24 to 25. So that stuff, those things are my source notes for the scene. And they're not really intended to do anything but help me. Uh, so I format them as hidden text in Word, which you can find as an option in the format uh, slash font menu or something like that. Because me citing my sources isn't at all cr crucial for the artist. And as you kind of guessed, it's also in code. RCSH means a reader's companion for the brief history of time by Hawking. Uh, every scene, and sometimes multiple panels per scene, has this stuff to keep me honest when it comes to the facts behind the story. It's visible on screen, but won't show up if the artist prints out the script or if they just toggle the show-hide formatting option or whatever. So Leland never has to look at this if he doesn't want to. And he probably didn't. Uh, anyway, the scene progresses, and Hawking makes an appearance, makes a pronouncement in such a way that uh, will recur much later in the story, and then we end the scene with the first bet of the book. Uh, and here's that panel description. 
Uh, page two, panel five. More dangling legs as the person who reaches for the bag of candy is holding it upside down over his hand, hoping for one last piece to fall out. We see the mouth of the sack and it's full black. Yes, a space slash black hole metaphor, which is probably too subtle, but I don't suggest you push it visually to make it less subtle. And then we call out the dialogue, uh, second voice from off panel, huh, I'll bet you he doesn't amount to much. Uh, first voice replies, oh yeah, what do you wager? And the second voice replies, a bag of sweets. And we follow this with a page with no images, just text in a font we won't see for another 200 plus pages. It's the computerized voice of Hawking reflecting back on this scene from his youth. And by doing this, we hope to let people know who makes the very dry joke here, and I'm not going to give it away, and who our narrator is for the rest of the book. The story then begins in earnest, with a section header that really isn't a chapter break. In fact, we had a long discussion with Casey, our editor, and the designers on how prominent to make these header headers. The decision was to either make them big enough that we could be sure readers wouldn't skip them, but then they would interrupt the continuous flow of the story, or make them more subtle, which risked people not directly noting these signposts in the story. So, make sure they're read, or make sure they don't interfere. Uh, we ended up opting for the latter, since we want time to flow smoothly through the book, life like time does in real life. Uh, so anyway, this header is, quote, 300 years after Galileo died, uh, January 1942, to give you sort of a time uh, time frame for when it's happening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And it introduces Hawking's mother, Isabel, pregnant with him and looking for something to read in the hospital. There are a lot of silent panels in this sequence to emphasize her solitude. And when I say a lot, uh, page seven has, I think, eight panels. Yep, eight panels. And it's one of the few uh, from the book with more than six. Uh, Leland's one request to me when we started was to use fewer panels per page than we did in Feynman. Which I thought, okay, fair enough. And I printed up a big sign that said, less than or equal to six. And I hung that be on the wall behind my desk to keep, in, keep it in mind every time I sat down to write. Uh, I haven't done the math since then, but since he didn't kill me before we were done, I think I at least averaged fewer than six. Uh, anyway, here Hawking starts to talk to us via captions at the end of page eight anyway, and we get a brief tour of the childhood home that made the most impact on him as an adult. On to page 10, let's say, and here we get the first diagram of the book. There will be more, uh, because we're not going to cheat you out of learning a little bit of science in this thing. 
page 11. We're now in his bedroom lab with Hawking and his friend Basil, where they're about to make a mess. Uh, as we introduce Hawking's middle school age friends back into the story, we start to run up against one of the problems with nonfiction comics done in a ligne claire or clear line style like Leland's. Uh, a style that emphasizes shapes and liveliness, but isn't as concerned with photorealistic likenesses. How do we make sure readers can keep track of who's who across time? And what we do is the same thing that uh, other comics artists do, uh, say with Batman or Ms. Marvel. We do it by costuming, largely. Hawking is easy. Since he's the main character and wears glasses and eventually has his own Batmobile, basically. But the secondary characters are harder, and for them we rely on color and limiting their wardrobes. Not to the extent that you only have his wife Jane wear a red cape and a blue top with a lightning bolt, uh, but it's close. So our characters don't get too many shopping sprees. Sorry. Uh, page 12. Stephen as the master of all he surveys, and a fast-talking one at that, because here we jam the, his words together to give readers a sense of what his friends called hawking ease. Comics gives you so many tools to work with, so using the words not to just convey information, but visually as well is a big part of the fun of doing them. Uh, thought Bubbles, for instance seem to have become somewhat unfashionable in recent years. And for a while, it seemed like they all but disappeared, at least in the monthly comics I kept up with. But I still use them fairly often. First, the books I do are often about people thinking hard about stuff. And since we do have access to what scientists think about their work, it makes sense to show that. Second, I'm a fan of keeping all the storytelling tools sharp and ready to use. I mean, they're free, and they don't take up any space when you don't use them, so why get rid of them? Uh, and if everything's available, even absence can become meaningful as well, if only on a subliminal level. So, like in an upcoming book, I only show one character's thoughts ever, and everybody else is defined by action. Will readers notice? Don't know and don't really care, at least not a lot. But I think absence of a thing can still add to how a story feels uh, as much as the presence of a thing can. Back to, back to this story, page 13. And we're back to some faceless friends, since it doesn't matter, at least not in, in the context of this scene, immediately, who's talking. And here we introduce the school environment at St. Albans, where Stephen went uh, as a younger man, and how Stephen set himself apart from his peers even then. We go into a flashback, into memory, in the next two pages, and we signal that with a shift to duotone color. On page 14, on the bottom, uh, we use some captions to hide word balloons, indicating how Hawking's not so concerned as he remembers this scene, uh, what his friends, he's not so concerned with what his friends said, just the effect it had and what he was aiming to prove. Uh, and by doing this, it's another example, I hope, of how in a text-heavy book, which this admittedly is, uh, we can still use that text visually.
uh, 15, we end the flashback, and on page 16, we come back to the presence, bringing the color back in, and a little more of Hawking Ease returns via a packed word balloon and tightly current text, as his friends start to tip to the fact that he's different. He's not too good with his hands, and a bit self-satisfied, but he's very smart. Hawking's family, on the other hand, isn't as impressed, and he's shut back down at home. His parents are both bright as well, and they don't think much of his ambitions to go into the hard sciences, or his lack of ambition to do well at school at all. And Hawking really was not a good student. He was so smart that he could get away with not trying for, for a long time, but that's not a recipe for success or even for happiness, uh, which he comes to realize, and relatively soon. Uh, page 17 and 18, uh, parenting pages, as Hawking and his sister show the uh, expected amount of embarrassment with one's parents that teens everywhere, and always, have experienced. We also see some of Hawking's last moments under their direct control, uh, as we see his ambitions to be a scientist again tamped down by his father, maybe raised back up a little by his mother, but definitely those ambitions are put in jeopardy by his poor grades. On to page 19, and this sequence through page 21 is another great wordless sequence where Leland's art does all the heavy lifting, and we see Hawking now in an empty house, his childish things, his toys and stuff, mostly gone, and getting what he fears is a rejection letter from Oxford University. But by page 21, we have the first of many places where we show uh, Hawking playing against type by flat out stating that he was wrong. He is accepted to Oxford University, and with that and a smile and a call back back to page, yep, page 10, uh, where we showed him diagramming his escape routes from home, he leaves that home for university, where on the next page we immediately see he doesn't apply himself. Uh, and we signal that as well with the section title, uh, quote, about a thousand hours work in three years. 1959 to 1962. Now, you already know that Hawking's a genius, and even then he was recognized as special, but here again, he coasts for a while. And if you've ever tried or known someone who's tried a degree in math, uh, physics, or engineering, you'll know that a thousand hours isn't a lot of study time, much less classroom plus study time. So Hawking is talking about how he was basically a slacker in college. And yet, we see him here trying without trying. The body language is on some level contradicting the words, and I particularly like how Aaron works the palette here to give us a cool, detached feeling to Hawking's casual display of genius. Uh, let's go ahead to page 26, where... Yeah, uh-oh, some equations. Which reminds me of a story which we touch on later in the book, where Hawking was told during the really long editing and revision process uh, for his book, A Brief History of Time, that 
every equation reduces readership by half. And Hawking kind of bought that argument. But even so, he included E equals MC squared in his book, sacrificing, in his own words, 10 million in sales, more or less. Now, I doubt that equations really do that. But even if they did, we want readers to get a feel for what he was all about and what science and being a scientist is like. So equations have to be here. But in comics, they can just as easily be viewed as set dressing, I think, a visual signifier that, you know, science is happening over here, kind of like a sign on a trail pointing you to a scenic outlook. The view where you are on the trail is probably pretty good, uh, but that sign is there to let you know there's more, uh, something extra over this way if you want it. That said, the set dressing has to be good and true. So even if you decide to skip it, uh, we do take a lot of care with the math and science, and my descriptions for these panels tend to be a lot longer than most. And if I flip through here and see what the script looked like, it's like 500 words for the two panels of science on this page, uh, which is a lot. Uh, but these things require as much precision as artistry, because we'll hear about it if we try to play fast and loose with objective scientific truths. Onward to pages, page 27. Uh, and here we get more indications that Hawking was both unmotivated, uh, bordering on lazy maybe, and a genius, since we draw a direct comparison to his very bright friends and how different they feel in his presence. Uh, on page 29, some more equations in his thoughts, and yes, those are Maxwell's equations, science fans. Uh, page 30, his friends are in awe of what Hawking's accomplished basically overnight. But Hawking isn't uh, too impressed with himself. The stuff we just saw him do was easy for him. And the contrast between his bored expression and the amazement his friends feel is another clue that he's quite different. Uh, page 31, 32. Yeah, let's go to page 32. Our first big scene with a big telescope in it. And Hawking admits that he's not much for looking at the stars. This notion will come back around by the end of the book. But I don't know if he likes... Uh, let's get to the art anyway. Uh, I don't know if he likes it. But for someone with such an organic, open feel to his art, Leland is really good at drawing mechanical things. There's an even more impressive scene like this later, uh, and actually it causes us a little bit of problems with the uh, reading order uh, to make it flow, because it didn't quite have the layout we needed. Uh, but this is a case where, uh, when in doubt, change the text and rework things through the text. Uh, a, it's a lot harder to redraw something, and B, when you've got a great drawing, that's what's going to carry the scene, going to carry the image. So it's the writer's responsibility to make it work, if at all possible. And we made it work. Uh, on to page 20, 33, not 23, 33. And now a bit that people probably won't expect. Hawking as the coxswain for a crew team at Oxford. He did sports. Uh, it's a fun scene, as here we have Hawking do a little bragging about his skill, even though the images flatly contradict his bragging words. Uh, 
which on page 34 don't come out quite right anyway, as we get a hint that ALS is starting to invade his life. We end the scene on the river with Hawking being tossed into it, and another image of flying that's going to echo throughout the story. Um, Graphic novels give us a lot of opportunities to reflect back on earlier themes, both visually and with words, uh, and I think in very helpful ways. And not that um, monthly comics don't do this, but there's a reason fans, you know, quote unquote, wait for the trade or creators write for the trade. Creating resonances that work on multiple levels is really one of the most satisfying things about the medium. And in fact, we don't wait long to do this because we touch on this on the very next page. Because here on page 35, ALS makes its presence known again this time with an actual fall. It's a scary moment, uh, but doesn't feel too serious because we show Hawking not being worried. And when when he recovers a little bit, he gives himself some mental challenges, uh, challenges that you and I probably couldn't pass on our best day, and he does just fine. Uh, but his physical capabilities are now truly in question, which Leland shows very subtly, but also very effectively. And now we're at page 36 and 37, which, and I think I'll close with these pages, where Hawking's uh, lazy chickens come home to roost, and he has to sit for exams to graduate and comes up short. Lack of work catches up to even him, and so he has to request a tiebreaker after these exams in the form of an oral exam in front of a bunch of Oxford dons. If he does well, he can go do graduate work at Cambridge. If he doesn't, he'll stay right here at Oxford. Thank you very much indeed. Um, so Hawking's gambling again, and even using some game theory, uh, a real-life prisoner's dilemma, where cooperation, even if it's distasteful, is the only way out for both Hawking and those Oxford dons. So does he win his bet? And then does he go on to become a world-famous cosmologist, Star Trek, Simpsons, and Big Bang Theory guest star, and more? Well, a cliffhanger seems like a good place to stop, so I'll leave you in a little bit of a suspense, and on the brink of the section we called uh, A Brief History of Relativity. So, thanks for listening, thanks to Ben for having me on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy the book. You can track me down on Twitter via at GTLabsRat, GTLabsRat. And in general, I'm easy to find on the web because the combination of my name and comics is unusual enough that uh, the algorithms bubble me right to the top of search results, which is a bit of good luck for me. Cheers, and thanks again. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. <laughs>